uh, Luke chapter 6 is where we're, going to, where we're going to be. So I hope you have your Bibles and you're, you're turning there. So as we've been walking through, through Luke, um, we've, we have seen uh, several different things about Jesus. And what we've seen uh, about him um, since the beginning of his ministry is that Jesus is, is exerting his authority. And, and he is exerting his authority in, in ways that were completely different than any of the other um, religious leaders of the day. If, if you remember one of the first instances that we see Jesus teaching, um, the, the people noticed that he does not teach like anybody else. He teaches unlike anybody else. Nobody teaches with that kind of authority. And I think what, what Luke is trying to get across to us, where John explains, I think, just straight out, is that the Word has become flesh and has dwelt among them. And so he spoke with, with great authority. And along that authority, which is just amazing, is, is that we see Jesus um, showing his authority, but also giving great mercy. Jesus giving great mercy uh, to, to those he ministered to and to those who were uh, are around them. So first off, we see Jesus, how he, he healed the demonized guy. Remember the demonized guy in Capernaum, I believe it was, in Luke chapter 4. There was a guy that was demon-possessed, and he healed this guy, setting him free. He healed countless others. We don't even know how many, but he stayed up all night long that same night after the Sabbath sundown. He stood up, stayed up the whole night laying hands on people and healing them. The next day, he called fishermen to follow him. Peter, John, and James. He touched the leper. He forgave the sins of the paralytic before he healed him. We saw how he called a tax collector, Levi, to follow him. Jesus is showing us great authority and great mercy. And once again, proving over and over again that he is who he says he is. Isaiah 61, when he quoted that to his people in, um, in Nazareth, uh, he is expressing his authority and his mercy. And we see it being fulfilled uh, uh, throughout our our passages. So let's look at chapter 6, and we're going to read this together. We're going to read 1 through verses 1 through 11. So follow along with me in your, in your Bibles. Verse 1. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you do doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And he said to those who were with him, How he entered the house of God, and he took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there 
whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. He said to the man with the withered hand, Come, stand here. And he arose and he stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or destroy it? And after looking around at them, all he said to them, all he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. And that, but, verse 11, but they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what might they do to Jesus. Amen. So this morning, as we get started in walking through chapter 6 of Luke's Gospel, we see these two separate events take place on two different days. Two days that, that both take place on the same day of the week, the Sabbath. And, and once again, we see Jesus' authority being shown, and yet we also see a glorious act of mercy. Now, the significance of these passages are that they take place on the Sabbath. Now, progression over time and the, the, the trend of, of humanity is to take what is good and to reshape it in their own desires or by their own desires and for their own purposes to serve themselves. And this is the idea of what we see taking place with fasting. Or we saw that last week with fasting. This week we see it with the Sabbath. But in the Sabbath, there's a, there's a greater intensity to it other than the, the fasting aspect like we talked about last week. Because in the Sabbath, Israel, the nation of Israel, was to observe in such a way that made them distinct and separate from all the other nations of the world. Right? This is something that was to make them completely separate from all the other nations. So when the fourth commandment was given to them on, the Mount, on Mount Sinai, right, it was not only of one of rest, which we're going to get to in just a second, but it was one of worship. It was one of worship, a day completely set apart to trust and depend upon the Lord. I'm going to talk about the significance of that in just a moment. Now, when it comes to the, the rest aspect of the, of the Sabbath, think about the context in which Israel received that commandment. Right? It was after 400 years of slavery, bondage to their masters in Egypt. And no matter what it was, every single day of the week was the same thing. Serve my master. So when, when the Lord commanded in the fourth commandment to, to keep the Sabbath day holy, I think God is giving them a commandment of, of great rest, a rest that they have not experienced in 400 years. That's 52 days of year, a year to take off. That's seven and a half weeks of vacation that they never had before, a year. What an immediate blessing to a people that bore such a burden for so long. In fact, when they received it, you can imagine the, the scars of hard labor were still upon many of them. 
the premature old age that takes place of working all the time. The lost loved ones because of the work and exhaustion. But yet it was not only a day for rest, but it was a day set apart for worship. And let me explain to what this, what this means now. When they lived in a society, in, in a, an agrarian society, which means everything that they grew was what they had to eat, right? They could not go to the store. They weren't necessarily selling what they had all the time. It was for them to eat. It was a hand-to-mouth society. And if you were not working, you were not eating. You really couldn't, you really couldn't afford to take that day off. So what was God's command? Not just in, for rest in taking the Sabbath, but God's command was say, no, you were going to take one day a week and you were going to rest and you were going to worship me because you need to take that one day and get it off everything else that you have going on and trust in me. You're not going to trust in the, the fruit of your own works by your own hands, but you're going to trust in me. And can you imagine what that looks like before the world? When they see a whole country that just kind of takes the day off? When no one takes the day off? You had to work. Can you imagine the pressure that they, they even felt? That they have crops that need to be dealt with? That they have, they have donkeys and whatever else they may have that need to be watered and cared for? And things to be dealt with? We, we understand those pressures. I think in the life or death for them. And what a, what a testimony to live before the Lord, the trust in the Lord, that they are going to trust in the Lord. And this is one of the greatest issues that Israel failed at in the Old Testament. They failed to keep the Sabbath holy. They failed in their worship and they failed in their rest. And this failure of, of worship that took place on the Sabbath, we see it, we see it uh, go through throughout the New Testament. In fact, Hosea 6, 6 tells us that, For I desire steadfast love and not just your sacrifices, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Their worship was misaligned. Their Sabbath worship was misaligned. And so this is one of the main reasons why, why God judged his people and he, he brought about their downfall and had a great many of them exiled. And so when Israel came back out of exile, back out of slavery it, it, again, it seems like they, they, they kind of looked back and said, okay, what can we learn from our mistakes here? And one of them was, well, we pretty much messed up Sabbath worship, so we're not going to mess that up anymore. We're going to be determined to fix this problem. And so what they did was they took the, the Sabbath and they created this, this fence around this command. And as the years went on with more and more teachers and more and more rabbis, that fence began to get wider and wider and further and further away from the, the joy and the blessing of the Sabbath in which God had given to them. They created rules and regula regulations around the law. And by the time Jesus came around, they had entire books filled with these rabbinic teachings on just the Sabbath alone. In fact, there was, there was one book that had, had 39 clarifications on what work was and what it constituted as. In each of those 39 clarifications, there were thousands of subcategories 
thousands of subcategories on what that actually looked like. Nitpickiness to every little minute detail of your life. Would that be work or not? If I had to put my shoes on, was that work or not? If I tied my shoes in a certain way, is that work or not? Do I eat with my right hand or do I eat with my left hand? What was it? And so this is, the, this is what was driving them. It would be like, it would be like if, say if you got a speeding ticket, right? You got a speeding ticket. You were going 45 and a 35, and none of y'all do that. This is just hypothetically, okay? And because of that speeding ticket, you just got fearful. I don't want another one of these. So I'm going to, I, I'm now going to really commit myself to, to drive 35 miles an hour and, and then you realize, I can't do this. So I'm going to take my car keys and I'm going to throw it in the lake. I'm done driving. I, I don't want to break the law anymore. I'm getting rid of my car. I'm selling my car. And then before you know it, you're walking to church or you're walking to the school or you're walking to work or whatever it may be, and you see all these other morons driving and you're like, what's your deal? I know you all are speeding. You need to sell your car too. And that's the idea. Right? We all look at that. That's absurd. It is. None of us would do that. But that's the idea. That's the, the fence around the law, the nitpickiness of getting everything right in their eyes and doing everything right. Um, I have a, a certain nitpickiness about myself. <laughs> I was expecting my wife to agree with me, not <laughs> Bill. Um, and in fact, um, in fact, a few years back, I, I had a, a student who, who um, we spent the weekend together on a, on a, on a youth trip, and he, he told me, he said, he said, Ben is the guy who has to have everything in its place. And I think my family probably knows that as well, that in my crazy nitpickiness, at every angle I try to get things, I, I, get, I get bent out of shape. And, and I can cause a, a wake in my path, right? Like a boat that just comes charging through the home, right? And so this crazy nitpickiness at every angle is, is which they were, they were bearing on people. A, a burden that, that, that we have such a hard time understanding when it comes to the Sabbath because we live in a completely different way. We, we don't understand what it means to live under this kind of pickiness of taking inventory on every little aspect of what you do on a Sunday morning. If it's, if it's right before the Lord or not. We don't, we don't deal with that. In fact, most people actually just don't care. I think, even, and what's even real sad, I think, I think most Christians don't even care what they do on Sundays. It's not a big deal. It's a non-issue for, for many Christians. We don't think about this issue of the Sabbath and keeping it holy. Is it just another weekend day? And so I think this passage helps us get some clarification here. Helps us understand not only where, the, where these Pharisees are coming from, but also teaching us what Jesus is going to show us about the Sabbath. One of my favorite Puritans, uh, an English Puritan, J.C. Ryle, um, he quoted about the Christian Sabbath. He said, our Sundays and how we use them is one of the most sure signs of our spiritual condition. I mean, isn't that true about our... I mean, I just think about our... Not just our culture, but think about Christianity in general. 
on how we spend our, our Sundays, our Christian Sabbath, is one of the most sure signs of our spiritual condition. And, I'm not talk- and I don't think he's necessarily talking about just showing up and going to church and then going home. I think he's talking about the, the day, the whole Sabbath, the whole Lord's day. So we don't want to miss the point. We, we don't want to miss what, what the Lord has for us in, in delighting and knowing what the Sabbath is for. So I have two, two main points that I want to share with you this morning. Number one, don't miss the point. Don't miss the point of the Sabbath. We don't want to miss the point of the Sabbath like we see the Pharisees, right? They, they didn't just slightly skew the law in the wrong direction with a little bit of misinterpretation. They didn't do that, right? But, but rather, they, they completely missed it all together. They totally misunderstood and they missed the whole entire point of this commandment, of this law. So let's, let's look at this first event. The first event in our passage, and we'll see, and I'll show you what I mean here. So in these first five verses, when Jesus was with his disciples, they were, they were walking through a grain field. They were walking through a grain field. And I love how Luke is very specific. He needs you to see that he's being very specific on what they were doing. They just weren't walking through a grain field, but they were picking off pieces of grain, right? And then they were plucking them and shucking them and rubbing them and then popping them, eat them, right? Popping them in the mouth, eat them. I'm going to take a drink. And they were eating them, and they were hungry, so they ate. The Sabbath was a busy day for Jesus and his disciples. Every Sabbath was busy for Jesus and his disciples as they were walking, they were eating. And then immediately some Pharisees, as we see in verse 2, which, by the way, is kind of weird because I, where did they come from? They just kind of like pop out out of the grain and say, oh, that's unlawful. That's unlawful what you're doing. Why are you doing this on the Sabbath? And notice the language, what is not lawful. Notice that, what is not lawful. So the, the perspective of the Pharisees, they're, they're watching them eat seeds off the plants, and, and mind you, this isn't a feast. This isn't like what we get to do on, on the last Sunday of every month. These are like walking through a field and you know, picking up the peanuts off the ground after they've been harvested and trying to eat them suckers. Or maybe some of the corn that's still left on the ground after it's been harvested. It's tough. It's not good. right? And, and this, is, this is work according to, the, according to the Sabbath, Now, or according to their laws. Now, in the Old Testament, in, in Deuteronomy, there is actually a provision within the Scripture for those that were walking along a path, they could glean, is the, is the Bible word, or maybe the King James word, they could glean from the, from, the, from the fields what they needed to eat. They weren't allowed to put it in their pockets. They weren't allowed to take it home, so they couldn't take a doggy bag from your field, right? And they also couldn't use tools. So you couldn't be like, oh, I'm gleaning with my sickle, right, and harvesting all this stuff while your buddy picks them up and sticks them in the sack, take them to market and sell it. You can't do that. That was stealing. But if you needed, you could pick them off and you could eat them, just like Jesus and his disciples were doing that day. But their pickiness was, was it lawful on the Sabbath? Were they technically breaking the, this fourth commandment? Were they doing that? And according to the Pharisees, they were breaking the law. They were breaking, the, they were breaking their law according to how they applied it and according to how they interpreted it. And so, yeah, to the Pharisees, these guys broke it, and they broke it good. They broke it good. And so here we have here, 
the Pharisees' interpretation, and then we're going to get Jesus' interpretation. Let's look at the second event. We'll come back to that in a second. The second event, same thing, Sabbath. This time they're not walking through a grain field, but, but Jesus is, is, is teaching in the synagogues. Well, he did. He was teaching in the synagogue just like we saw earlier. And there was a man, Luke takes note for us, that there was a man there who was at the, the synagogue who had a withered hand, born with a, a handicapped and he's there. The Pharisees are there. But the Pharisees were there for one reason. Not to hear Jesus anymore. They didn't care about what Jesus said. They were there to see Jesus, if he was going to heal this guy on the Sabbath or not. Was Jesus going to break the rules again? Break the law again? And so here's the situation. Here's the, the tension, once again, that's going to take place. Now, according to the law of, of the... Uh, of the, of, of the Pharisees, according to the rule book again, they actually had a provision in their rule book that, that you could heal someone on the Sabbath. So what's the problem here? Well, according to their rules, though, you couldn't just, it couldn't, they, you just couldn't heal them. They, they had to be like dying. They had to be like on the ground croaking, not just standing there listening and just having a, a handicap, a life or death Situation. Well, no one was dying here. And so there's once again, we see once again that there's nowhere in the Old Testament that tells us their rules, does it? Nowhere in the Old Testament does it actually give us their, their rules. But it's based upon what they believe is lawful according to their own preferences, according to their own rules, and according to their own traditions and not the Scripture. And this is a really big distinction here, brothers and sisters. Humanity likes to make their own rules and live by them. We, we talked about this last week. That, that we want to make our, our own rules by our own preferences and then we call them the law. And we get angry when other people aren't following them. Or we judge them because they're not following them. Or we look down on them because we're, they're not following them. Or they're not following them. What we talked about last week is we can't even follow them. We can't even follow our own rules. So in both cases, in event one and in, and in event two, we see Jesus, Jesus and his disciples coming under charges for breaking the law. First time, they actually say it to him. Second time, they're in their hearts saying it. And Jesus being Jesus, the omniscient Son of God, knowing their thoughts, exposes them. And so what Jesus does is he, he responds to them, telling them and showing them that they didn't just misread the Scripture, but they just completely missed the point altogether. It was something deeper, something very, very deeper. So what is the Sabbath? The point of the Sabbath. What's the point of the Sabbath? We've been talking about it just a little bit. But the point of the Sabbath is that, is that one day a week where we put aside all our work and we rest in the Lord and we, and we worship Him, right? It's, the, it's the one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, it's actually the, the, fourth, the fourth commandment. And, and, and this idea of rest and this idea of, of, of rest and worship, it, it didn't originate in or on Mount Sinai. The idea of the Sabbath actually originated in Genesis. At the beginning. The Sabbath finds its beginning at the beginning. Genesis 1. God created the heavens and the earth. And he created the heavens of the earth by the authority of his own word. You catch the symbolism there of Luke, Jesus speaking by the authority of his own word. 
And Genesis teaches us there were six days in which the Lord created, and then on the seventh day, after God has finished all of his work, God rested. Genesis chapter 2 tells us that. He blessed the seventh day, he called it holy, and he rested. Now this is funny, because we're, we're, we're good reformed folk here. We believe in the sovereignty of God, the omniscience of God, the omnipotence of God, and the infinite work of God. Does God need the rest? No. But isn't it amazing that he did? And why? All right, that's a good question. Why did God rest? And then why did he command his people to rest? Because we need the rest. It's, it's once again, this one day is set apart for, for all of us to see and for God to show us that we need him. That not trust in the work of our own hands because they're going to fail us. But we trust in God who will never fail us. And he is the great rest that we need. We are finite. We are dependent. And he is not. So all of our work is all to find its fruitfulness and its rest in the Lord. That he is our provision. That he is our sustenance. That he is our satisfaction. And the only way where we can truly rest and cease striving, and quit being stressful, as we like to say in our culture, and quit dealing with these kind of anxieties because of things that we need, or the things that we, we think we need, it comes only in knowing, trusting, and loving the Lord. And that's the point of the whole Sabbath. And these guys completely missed it. With their hundreds of years of tradition that they heaped upon the Sabbath, that put all these burdens on the people everywhere, that turned into a, a, a landmine. It turned into a field of landmines that these people had to traverse every single week wondering if, if God was going to strike them dead or not because if they were breaking the commandment in some minute way. The Sabbath became a burden and not a joy. It did not become rest. It became wearisome. It made them wishing and wanting and desiring for that day to be done. Get me off the Sabbath and get me to Monday. Or for them was Sunday. So back in the first event, where Jesus and his disciples, they were busted for eating grain and harvesting grain, Jesus answers them and takes them back to uh, 1 Samuel 21. And it's a story referring to, to, to David when David had been anointed king, but he wasn't king yet, and David and his boys were on the run from Saul. Saul was, was, was tracking them down. The Philistines were, were, were tracking them down, and they were weary. In fact, the text says that they were starving. And they came to the land of Nob. And in the land of Nob, David went to the priest, Ahimelech. And he came to Ahimelech, and he said, Ahimelech, we are starving. We're, 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 we're on the run. We are starving. Me and my boys, we need some food. What do you got? And Ahimelech says, I got nothing. David, I have nothing for you. And he says, the only thing I have, the only thing I have is these, the, the, the showbread. The only thing I have is these, these 12 loaves that we set apart every single week to devote unto the Lord for six days. And then on the seventh day, this is all we get to eat. And seeing David starving, and seeing David in need, the priest gave David the loaves. Now these, these loaves, they, they symbolized 
something each week to the people and to the priests. It symbolizes God's provision. It symbolized God's source of all their strength and all of their nourishment. It was a reminder when they looked at those loaves every day that I trust in the Lord for my nourishment and for my strength and my dependence for everything, physically and spiritually. And so then, so David received the loaves, and they ate it. And he's reminding them. Do you guys remember this story? And see, what the priests understood, Ahimelech understood, that I think the Pharisees did not understood, and this is the point that Jesus is making, is that the ceremonial law of laying out the bread can and should be superseded by a moral necessity to feed someone if they are starving. So do you remember what what Jesus said when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Can you love God without loving your neighbor? Brothers and sisters, can you love God without loving your neighbor? No. You, you, you can't. And, and this is what Jesus is telling them. There's a moral law, according to the, the, the old, even the Old Testament, the moral law can be outweigh the necessity of the ceremonial law. My boys are hungry. They need to eat, said David, said Jesus. And you remember when Jesus, or why people didn't touch the leper? You remember why people didn't touch the leper? Because it would make them ceremonial unclean. And what does Jesus do? Jesus touches the leper. And the same thing can be applied there because there's something good, right, moral about him touching him and healing him. And so this is, this is what we see here. And think about disciples were traveling with Jesus town to town, preaching and teaching the, the good news of the Word of God, and they were bringing people back to the Lord. They were helping the poor. They were healing the sick. And all the Pharisees could care about was how they were plucking and rubbing seeds and eating them. They missed the point. They missed the point. They, they couldn't see the joy of the blessing of the kingdom work. And they completely missed the point of the Sabbath, of worship and joy, and rest. Same thing goes with, with how Jesus, when he healed the man with the, the withered hand. The Pharisees showed up that day to catch Jesus in the act. They, they knew that if Jesus saw this guy, he would try to heal him. And so what are they concerned with? They're concerned with themselves. They're not concerned about this guy. They're not concerned with this guy who, who, who has a, a great, deep need. They're not caring about the gospel that, that Jesus is preaching. So whose heart is right? They were more concerned about their own agenda, catching Jesus, breaking the Mosaic Law, and their own interpretation of the Mosaic Law, than they were about seeing Jesus restore this man to perfect health. One of the guys that I, I read on this passage, he commented, he said, so it's not okay, he's asking questions, so it's not okay for Jesus to heal on the Sabbath, but it's okay how you can plot and kill a man? Makes you think. And isn't that what pretty much Jesus is asking in verse 9? Is it okay to 
save a life or destroy it, to do good or to do harm. It's hard to believe that a person can be that blind. This passage has always struck me, how they can be that blind to see. And they didn't even blink an eye when it came to trying to kill Jesus, did they? You talk about missing the point. Missing the whole point, the whole purpose of the law, not just the Sabbath, the whole purpose of the law. You know, I have, I have years of experience in church, and I know you all do too, and, and maybe they're not like these guys, of course, in trying to kill someone. But we certainly have seen, or at least I've experienced, some people who've, who were like this, who were blinded so much that they just could not see people. They could see their own interpretations of things. They could see their own preferences, but they couldn't see people. They couldn't see the joy and experience of, of giving mercy. They missed the whole point. And, and you don't have to be a legalist to miss the point either. Like, so I'm not just preaching toward the legalists here. You don't have to be a, a legalist to, 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 to miss the point. And by the way, legalist is a very dirty word in our culture. Very dirty word. I've come to find out. You don't have to miss the point or to be a legalist to miss the point just like the Pharisees. You could be living a licentious life of sin, giving into sin, and you can still miss the point altogether. Because the problem is not what you do necessarily on Sundays. The problem is our hearts. The problem is our, is our hearts are, are not right. And that's the blindness. That's the, the problem that the Pharisees had, is their hearts were not right. It wasn't their interpretation. That's not how necessarily how we live, but it's our hearts that are the problem. And if our hearts are not right, then the Sabbath, the Lord's day, will not be a blessing. If our hearts are not right, then the Lord's day will not be joy. If our hearts are not right, then it will not be about worship. It will not be about rest. But we'd be about serving myself whether it's my own laws and my interpretations of the law, of satisfying, trying to satisfy the, the law of God, or just doing whatever I want. To serve ourselves or to put others in bondage. So that's the first thing I want us to see, is that we can completely miss the point of the Sabbath just like them. We can completely miss it. And the point that we want to see, and this is my second point, the second thing that we need to see is I want to show you this morning, and this is what they missed, is that the point of the Sabbath is what we see in verse 5. Look at verse 5. Jesus said, the Son of Man was what? Is the Lord of the Sabbath. And that is what they missed. What they missed is that Jesus, who's standing right in front of them, is the Lord of the Sabbath. So after Jesus reminded them of the story of David and Ahimelech and the, 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 the bread of the presence and, and, and correcting the, the idea of the moral law superseding the ceremonial law, he gives them a, a very clear statement there that they clearly understood, which is why I think they ramped up their aggression in the Latin the second time and didn't just didn't address him. They just subversively thought it, and Jesus just exposed them anyways. And so here it is. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus, this is what he is saying when he says that. He says that he is greater than the Sabbath. 
And the reason why he is greater than the Sabbath is because he is the Lord of it. He is the Lord of it. He, is the insti- he instituted the Sabbath at creation. He, the second part of the Trinity, rested on day seven. I was there. I, I, I rested. I began this. I Sabbath before you can even Sabbath. He is greater than the Sabbath. He instituted the Sabbath in creation and even before Moses had commanded it, he gave the command to Moses. The Sabbath is and has always been about Jesus. The fulfillment of the Sabbath is Jesus. That day of rest, that sustenance that would eventually come would be in Christ. And since he is the boss, he says what goes. He is the Lord of the Sabbath and only in him can we find any rest and any restoration. This is the purpose of our Sabbath, of our Lord's Day, is, yes, to, to, to rest, and to rest in such a way that brings glory and worship to Jesus because He is the one that we trust in for our rest and for all of our restoration and our eventual renewal in Christ. Our rest on Sunday should be anticipating the, the rest that will be made and complete when Jesus comes back again. And our passage this morning shows us what Sabbath can be when it's turned into just legalism and burdensome. It's joyless. And you know we're not too far from that idea of the Lord's Day in our time. So the basic question then for all of us, the basic question then to come for all of us, if Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, here it is. Who the Lord of the Lord's Day makes all the difference in the world if you will actually keep the Lord's Day or not. Let me repeat that. Who the Lord of the Lord's Day makes all the difference in the world if you will actually keep the Lord's Day or not. So let me explain that. If Jesus is the Lord, and He is your Lord, and He is the Lord of your Lord's Day, then on Sundays, every Sunday, you will, you will be gloriously joyful in Christ. Because this is His day that He has set apart for us and we celebrate His resurrection on the Lord's day. We will not only desire to to gather with God's people, but this day will become a priority throughout the rest of the week. All the week we'll we'll be anticipating that coming day. The Lord's day. But if you or something else is Lord of the Lord's Day, then this is just flat out miserable, isn't it? This is just flat out miserable. You will not love this day. Have you ever seen people miserable in church? Preach sometime. And I'm not speaking about y'all, of course. But have you ever seen people miserable in church? In church services? It makes me just wonder, like, why are you here? Dude, go buy a boat or something and go have fun. Or go hunting or, or go do something else. Go watch NFL pregame if you're still into that thing. Right? Go do that. Don't come here and be miserable and make everybody else feel miserable because you don't know how to enjoy the Lord. I never had the heart to say that until now. 
Maybe context has something to do with it. If it is miserable, if the Lord is not the Lord of the Lord's day for you, then you're miserable. You will not love this day. This day will be something you will not love. These hours will not be something that you will love. The rest of the day will not be something that you, that you love. I saw a, a, a church sign yesterday, and I'm not going to tell you what it said. But I'm going to tell you that the basic point of the sign was to, was to guilt people into going to church. And I think we're seeing more and more of all, all of these um, throughout. And, and the reason is, whether their intentions were good or not, which they probably were, misskewed as they were, it was about guilting them to come to church because that's where God wants you. Because that's, that's, where, that's where God wants you. And, and it made me think, where does that motive come from? Where does that motive come from? Well, that, that motive uh, uh, comes from, yes, wanting people to come to church, but the problem is, is that if Jesus is not the Lord of their life, and Jesus is not the Lord of the Lord's day for, for them, then no wonder people don't commit to the body of Christ. No matter our, our commitment is only as much as perceived by others is okay. So no wonder commitment to the body of Christ is so wishy-washy. So what about us? What about you? What about the Lord's day for you? If, if you want to enjoy the Lord's day, if you want to enjoy the Lord's day, then the only way to do so is to enjoy the Lord of the Lord's day is to enjoy Jesus. That is, the, that is the key to opening up the door on, on, on why we are the weirdos who give up two hours every single week to gather together and we take a day of worshiping the Lord and we take the rest of the day to rest and trust in the Lord. Yeah, we're weirdos, by the way. Y'all know that. We're weird. If you don't enjoy the Lord's day, then you are going to, the Lord of the Lord's day, then you are going to be miserable. You're going to be bored. You're going to be ready to just get out of here. You know, this is one of my favorite days of the week. I, I love Sunday. And you know what's funny? When I was a kid, I used to, I used to hate Sundays. I did. I, 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 anything that I equated with going to a church service was equated to boredom. And you want to know Why? Because I was the Lord of my Lord's day. Not Jesus. And when Jesus became the Lord of my Lord's day, even as a teenager, I wanted to be with the people of God. I wanted to gather. And so now, this is one of my favorite days of the week. It is the, it is the only day of the week. It's, it's the day of the week that I get up the earliest on. I mean, I, I, I consistently wake up earlier and earlier on the Lord's day and anticipating of the, of the Lord's work and gathering with the, with the Lord's people. And then after that, I try to maximize my day to devotion, to worship, to joy, to fellowship, a little football, and rest <laughs> to the glory of God. And to rest for the glory of God. Yes, I take a glorious nap to the, to the, to the exaltation of Jesus on Sundays. Where is your heart on the Lord's day? Is it toward the Lord? Or can you not wait till service is over and go do what you want to do? Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And as the Lord of the Sabbath, we also see in this passage some pretty practical things that Jesus shows us on how to observe the Sabbath. And I just want to give you three of those really quickly. First thing he shows us is he shows us the, the importance of the corporate gathering. What was Jesus doing? He was traveling and going from 
from synagogue to synagogue, teaching and preaching. That was the pattern of, of Jesus on every Sabbath. Every Sabbath was Jesus' the pattern of his life was to gather with God's people for corporate worship. This also ought to be our pattern as well. That when the Lord's day come, that we must do whatever it takes to be here. To gather with God's people. That this is a, a, a priority to be with God's people. Because we, we need, as God's people, we need God's word. And we need God's people. We need God's word and we need God's people. And this primarily happens on the Lord's day. Number two. So the first is Jesus shows us the importance of corporate, work, corporate gathering. Number two, he shows us that we should rest on the Lord's day, but also only do what is necessary on the Lord's day. So we are to, we are to rest. I already told you, good at that. But we are also to do only what is necessary. Don't take that by heart. Only do what is necessary. This is something that's not taught in our culture, right? That, that Sunday is your day as long as you give the hour. So the Lord's Day has kind of been pigeonholed into this two hour, for us two hours, for some people it's 45 minutes to an hour. And then you got the rest of the day. Well, that's not the, that's not. the Lord's Day is the whole day. It's the whole thing. But yet the Lord's Day also teaches, the, what he teaches us about the Lord's Day is that we can also do what is necessary. And I think we should, we should limit that to only what is necessary and not any more than that. This day is meant for worship, and it's meant for, meant for rest. There, there are things, I, I understand, that need to be done on Sundays. I get that. Jesus uses the example of the, the oxen that falls into the ditch. Man, the oxen falls in the ditch. Some of us, it falls in all the time. We need to just shoot the oxen and get another one, right? Because he falls in the ditch all the time, and sometimes he falls in the ditch all the time. I mean, we, we have a couple brothers in our church, and, both, and it happened to be both of them right here this morning. They work on Sundays because they have to. They do what is necessary on, on Sunday morning. And, I, and, and yet I know them, speaking to them, brothers, their longing is to be here with God's people. We should only do those things that need to be done. But if our trend, the trend of our hearts, the pattern of our lives on Sundays is not worship and rest, then you're not going to be renewed spiritually. You're not going to be renewed physically from each Lord's Day because that's where you find your rest is in the Lord. And if we're wanting to do everything else and we're thinking about all the things that we can get done now, then we're going to miss the point of the Sabbath, miss the point of the, of the Lord's day. That's why I encourage you to seriously consider who is the Lord of your Sabbath. Remember Mark chapter 2, which is actually the parallel passage of this. He actually adds to this. and He says, he says the Sabbath was not made for man, but man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for you in your rest. And if we are obedient in that, the Lord will bless us. When I was in college, I served as a youth pastor at a church. And, and I would, it was two hours away. And I would have to drive there on Wednesdays. And I would have to drive back. After class, I would drive there. And then I'd drive back. and wouldn't get back till late. And then on uh, Sundays, I would actually leave like on Friday nights or sometimes Saturday morning. And if I was a real slug, I would left on Saturday afternoon. Um, and I would stay there the whole weekend. I would do Sunday morning church, and I'd do Sunday night church, and then I would drive back that night, and I wouldn't get home till late. And I did this for two years. And, and I remember one of the families, I remember one of the families that I got to stay with. Um, uh, uh, I know they don't listen to this, but Steve and Becky Norris, love that family. Still, my, my heart just, it just it rejoices in how the Lord used them in my life. 
and, and I remember I had so many requirements when I got there. I had the transition from college work to, to doing youth pastor work. And, and I remember I was just so busy when I got there. And the pastor would just work me like a dog on, on Saturdays and Sundays because he just wanted me. He gave me things. You had to go visit 10 kids and all this stuff every Sunday. And I had all this. And I remember, I remember uh, uh, Mr. Steve, uh, which happened to be a deacon, which is cool because I had him in my pocket. He, he said... He, he said, brother, on Sundays after you eat here, and she always cooked an awesome meal. She taught Christina how to cook some awesome stuff. And, and, and he always a great meal, and then he just opened up his couches and said, brother, sleep. And he wouldn't let me go. He wouldn't let me go. He says, brother, you sleep, you rest, because he could see how exhausted I was, and that I needed the Lord's day, that I needed the, the Lord's day. That brother shot, told, uh, taught me how to, uh, uh, to, to be about of the Lord's day and to get up. And when I got up, we went back to work. We did what was necessary. And number three, I think the third one is really important here, and I'm not going to be able to touch too much on this, is that, the, that the Jesus shows us that the Sabbath is, is, uh, is for doing acts of mercy. Doing acts of mercy. As striking as unbelievable as it seems, and we've already talked about this just a little bit, as it seems that the kind of coldness that the Pharisees had um, Unfortunately, this same, this same lack of mercy still exists. But it seems so harsher, doesn't it, when we see a lack of mercy like this, when it, when it comes from supposedly religious people? It kind of hurts a little bit more. People that we see as, as churchgoers, we would at, 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 at some level expect it from the world to, be, uh, to not be merciful, but not within the church. And you see, this is what we've, we've done in, even in our own culture and in, in cultural Christianity has created traditions and preferences, interpreting their own rules and laws on what church is to be. But it's, it's, it's not what I would consider biblical orthodoxy. They've, they've added certain things. and You know what I'm talking about. You dress a certain way at church. We only do a certain kind of music at church. We only read a certain kind of Bible when we're at church as if there's really another type. Buildings, those sort of things. If we, if we hold to our, our man-made traditions and our preferences over and above mercy and love as what is demanded from the Word of God, and if we see the point of the Sabbath, then we're going to miss the point altogether. Any tradition or anything else that comes between mercy and the moral demands of, of the love that God has told us to love our neighbor, then we must be willing to let those traditions go. We must be willing to let those things go. You know, our, some of our traditions are good. We, we do. We have some, some sweet traditions that are, that, are, that are fun, that are reminiscent, they are, are good, but they all must be held in our hands openly. The things that we hold close is our, is our biblical Christian orthodoxy. We hold close faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. We hold those things close. But everything else, let us hold Scripture alone, right? I want to hold that one too. And the only thing else, we want to hold open-handed. We want to hold it open-handed to be ready to be merciful to others. Brothers and sisters, we are, we are watching our society as a whole devour itself. Take good things and use them to punch the other people in the face with to get their point across. To serve our own political and our own moral ideologies. Brothers, the more we as Christians can show mercy 
in solidarity to the places and people that are being left in the wake of such destruction and such devouring, then let us do so. The gospel is too sweet, life is too precious, and time is just too short for us to get entangled with these endless controversies that truthfully do not matter. You guys catch what I'm I'm saying here? They don't matter. Let's be merciful. Let's not be like the Pharisees and care more about what someone's doing with a flag than they are with their lives. I said it. The gospel means too much. Mercy means too much. Our inheritance is in Christ and the kingdom of God. America's going to give me nothing when I die. But Christ has given me everything. And so he has for you. So this morning I want to close. It's like I said earlier. You don't have to be a legalist to be, or, or a Pharisee for this passage to matter. We can miss the point completely even if we're living in the Sabbath and the Lord's Day just for ourselves. It is meant for so much more. It is meant for us to see Jesus and to see the rest that we can find in Christ. He is the, the, the rest that the Sabbath should always be. When we think of the Lord's Day, we think of Jesus. We think of Jesus. And that we would find our desires and our pleasures of this day all in Him. Don't miss the point of this glorious day. Don't miss the glorious Savior. Don't miss Jesus Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your holy, inspired, inerrant word. Teach our hearts. Teach our lives. Show us, Lord, to be glorifying to you in this day and how we spend our day, how we spend our time. Help us to rest. For some of us, we, we need to rest. Some of us, rest, O oh Lord, today. Some of, some of us, it's about finding greater worship and greater joy in, the, in, in you, the Lord, and not in what we want to do. Would you bring about a renewal in our minds to your glory? Thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.